How can you tell whether a company is genuine about sustainability or whether it's just greenwashing? Hello and welcome to our podcast, Transforming Business with Minta Ellison, ideas and challenges that are shaping our future. In many nations and many companies, the race towards net zero emissions is already underway. More and more business leaders now realise that climate action is not just a moral responsibility, but a matter of plain common sense. After all, good business is about giving investors and customers what they want. So far, so simple. But if you dig a little deeper, many questions remain. Do business leaders have the vision to see beyond the costs of compliance, to discover the opportunities that come with decarbonisation and energy transition? How can customers tell the difference between a genuine action and greenwashing? And what about hard to decarbonise sectors like aviation and resources? Can they ever really make a positive difference? To explore these questions and more, we brought in a world-leading expert on the subject, Philippe Joubert is a former energy executive who is now the CEO of Earth On Board, which is dedicated to helping boards put sustainability front and centre of their company's strategies. Among many other roles, Philippe is also a trustee of Client Earth, a fellow and member of the advisory board of the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability and a Chevalier de la Région d'Honneur, a Knight of the French Legion. From his office in Paris, Philippe spoke virtually with Sarah Barker, partner and head of climate risk governance at Minter Ellison. Here's what they had to say. Philippe, I'd love to start the conversation today with the organisation that you founded, the Earth on Board program, which has developed a program of capacity building for non-executive directors on sustainability issues in business, uh, working towards uh, developing earth competent boards can you tell us a little bit about what motivated you to found earth on board uh, and what are the kinds of things that you do to help boards put sustainability at the center of their strategy sure uh, good morning sir and, uh, uh, i think we have to come back a little in time uh, when uh, i was uh, the ceo of a big company in in power and energy at the time um, in, in France. Uh, then uh, I left and uh, I decided to really to go in this line of sustainability because I thought at the time, it was 2010 more or less, the things were starting to get really uh, heavy. And when you are the CEO of a company, I was in, in the power industry, you get a lot of informations and uh, you really have a sense of urgency and a sense of what's happening. Uh, I was building coal plant, gas plant, and any plant over the, around the world. And I could see the emission that was going out of the plant I was just building uh, or transferring technology to China and India, etc. So I get this sense of urgency and I, I met some people, WBCSD, Cambridge universities, and I start working with them to develop uh, um, awareness for CEO. Uh, and then, then after a few uh, months, uh, discussing with the CEO, there were always the same conversation. The CEO was saying, ah, oh, Philippe, that's so great what you are doing. Now you are really have a, a meaningful purpose to your life, etc." And so my answer was saying, okay, yes, but why don't you do it? You are a CEO, you still have the pen, you can write the check, do it. And the guy was saying, well, you know, if I do that, I don't think, I don't think my share price will move one cent. Perhaps we'll go down. And my board don't ask anything about this to me. They are just asking result, quarterly result. And so... Uh, to give you the very short answer, I said, okay, so that's wrong. Because first of all, the price don't move, it's jury is still out. It's, it's not really always the case. 
And second, that the board don't ask you anything about this is totally wrong. So this is where and when I decided to go specialized on board, because I think we have been very good in motivating companies and CEOs and executives, and we forgot where everything starts, which is at the board level. So that's, that was my first motivation, my, my kind of, of moment of saying, wow, we are wrong because we are not attacking the problem where it should be attacked. So that's why I started with boards. So what do we do? I, I first gathered around me uh, um, what I call an ecosystem of players. And, and among them, uh, I started with the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership to help me to to get some knowledge and organization of the program uh, I am doing. I work with WBCSD because, as you know, you have there 200 of the most advanced companies around sustainability. Uh, then uh, I, I am trustee of Client Earth, and uh, I work with them to get more the, the, the technical knowledge in the legal area to, to help me. Then I met you, obviously, but uh, at the time I didn't know you yet, so I, I worked with with uh, client us first, and then we we had some um, also some relationship with the CDP, uh, the Climate Disclosure Project, everything to get the the, the best information where it is for both. Then I start working on uh, on programs, and uh, you participated to a few uh, and go, I go to the countries when it was possible to travel and, and gather boards and directors and, uh, and we walk around uh, their, their duties. Uh, Earth and board, uh, we have three main strategic directions. The first one, we offer program for of awareness, completely tailor-made, uh, really, it's very important because there is no one situation equal to another. So completely tailor-made. Second, we want to slowly build a community of what we call Earth Competent Board or Earth Competent Directors. And later we can discuss about this. And, uh, and thirdly, we are starting now. We are trying to influence policy. We, we are starting at the European level because this is where we live, but we have also connection with people, uh, including what we have been doing together in Singapore uh, recently. Uh, we are starting to work around the world with lawyers uh, that uh, wants to make, uh, first to make people aware of what the law says today, because uh, I forgot to tell you, but when the guy was saying, but the board never asked that to me, I say, wow, this, then they are not safe on the legal ground because they should. Uh, <laughs> not only board should uh, uh, help, uh, but should not prevent the CEO to work in that direction. Mm. That's interesting, Philippe, that you mentioned director's duties. Uh, in relation to sustainability and, and climate change more particularly. The day we're recording this podcast here in Australia, we've actually had the third version of the Hutley opinion published by Noel Hutley SC. Uh, and in that opinion, Mr Hutley talks about the stark shift in market views on climate change in recent times, whether it's securities regulators, equity investors, debt markets, insurers, the community. And it's his view that if a company director is not giving robust consideration to whether or not a net zero emissions target is put in place, then they are potentially breaching their duty of due care and diligence. So I think the shift in the standard of care expected of directors in this area is just ratcheting higher and higher and higher. I think this is very, very central and it's good, good that we spend one minute or two on this at the beginning of our conversation because for me this has been the centre of what I am doing because I started, uh, I think, uh, looking at some documents around the world uh, to make sure that I was understanding, because my, my view is, is 
global. I don't work specifically with one country or another. Uh, I, I work with every country. And it was interesting to see that wherever you go, wherever you go, you always have the three main duties in law, in soft and hard, wherever. And this is very interesting. So you have always your first duty, you take care of the interest of the company, and that's it. Then after some very wise people have translated that is, this means the interest of the shareholders. <laughs> and others said, this means the shareholders short term or the finance people, or etc. But it, this has been translation and, and, and narrowing the subject, but the subject is take care of the interest of the company. Yet to define what is a company, but, but anyway, this is, this is it. The second one is exactly what you said, care and diligence and, uh, and, and conflict of interest and all these things. So number two. And number three, uh, the duty of uh, information, external information, uh, fair and, and, and equilibrated, et cetera, et cetera. And when you look at these three, I defend the, 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 the thesis that 2015 was a year of total change for this trip, exactly because of what you just said. Because if you look at what is written in the Paris Agreement for climate change and the creation of the SDGs, this has changed fundamentally the responsibility of the board. Because the responsibility that you just pinpoint, the care and diligence, from Paris 2015, you cannot say you don't know. So this is impossible for you. So you have to move. And we could discuss during uh, more time about the responsibility and, and the negligence and all these things. But even without entering into this, you cannot say you don't know. And this is the first line of defense for a board that, as you know, much better than I do. Mm. Or if you don't know, you ought to have known. So for those of our listeners, Philippe, who might not be totally across the Paris Agreement that was signed, yeah. believe it or not, in Paris, how about that, in 2015, and what the SDGs stand for. Could you just spend a minute explaining those two? Sure, sure. Well, the SDG was a work done by UN, in general, to be simple, by UN. And for me, they, they try to decouple uh, what we have been doing uh, so far, which is to make business, to make our development at the expense of nature or the, at the expense of social capital. So the SDG was the first attempt to list a certain number of things that you have to respect uh, if you want to continue to develop in a sustainable way. So natural resources, but also inequality, uh, diversity, etc., etc. Uh, and by the way, the SDG are more and more now used in, in business, in countries, uh, in associations, in territories, to just to frame, it's a, it's a framework to frame your development according to a certain number of rules. Uh, Paris Agreement uh, is generally known uh, as a temperature agreement around 2 degrees or 1.5, means that science and the parties uh, met and said, Okay, the, the, the message is clear. Uh, we are running into deep trouble if we cross a certain number of boundaries. And in this case was the climate change boundaries. So if we continue to emit CO2 or, or gas in the atmosphere, we're going to cross a limit, which is 2 degrees or 1.5. And this will put us into a lot of trouble. Uh, so the Paris Agreement is about to maintain the increase of temperature, yet the emission of, of uh, CO2 to simplify and other gases uh, in a certain volume. And this is the way it's seen, 2 degrees, 1.5 degrees. But in reality, what we have to look at in the Paris Agreement is another small sentence that said, we have to go to zero net emission as soon as we can from 2050. For me, if I have to choose one sentence, this is this one. Because for business, 
it's very difficult to talk about temperature because you immediately, immediately go into, okay, but are you sure it's 1.5? It's not 1.6. And are you sure that my emission is uh, contributing to this, etc., etc. So to simplify, I say, okay, let's stop talking, guys. Anyway, the whole planet, the whole society, we have to go back to zero net emission. And zero net emission, this is why it's so important, is the compensation, the natural absorption by the system of the emission that we are uh, uh, issuing because of our development. Mm. And that, uh, that single line, the, the transition to a global economy operating on a net zero emissions basis, that is where I've certainly seen uh, stark shifts in the last 12 to 18 months as governments all around the world, whether they're national, uh, sub-national, um, whether they're investors or, or business corporations, committing to net zero emissions by 2050 targets before 2050, consistent with the Paris Agreement, which I've heard called the mother of all market signals. And I suppose if you've got 196 countries saying this is yeah. what we have to do, it's a pretty yeah. strong market signal. For us here in Australia, that shift seems to have occurred quite out of the blue very quickly. So in the last week, we've seen at um, President Biden's leadership summit an explosion of of commitments by companies to uh, by countries i beg your pardon to reach net zero by 2050 or to halve their emissions by 2030 i think as as much as 68 percent by 2030 in the case of the uk so it's quite a it's it's quite a surprise to us but from there in europe where you sit could you talk us through what some of the mm -hmm. recent shifts have been uh, both on the regulatory front and the market front on mm -hmm. climate change so you are you are opening a, a, a huge question and huge issues so perhaps uh, before i go to answering exactly your question about what's happening in europe and and what are, where are the change and shifts uh, perhaps we should go back a little uh, to the net zero concept and uh, and uh, why it's so important and why you you said something interesting about out of the blue why this should provoke some uh, reserves or, or i don't know how you say that in english but some prudence about what's happening in the world at the moment you have to notice that uh, in reality uh, this was provoked by the in November this year, we should have a new COP, Glasgow COP, and uh, in UK. And they have started one year ago uh, because of COVID. This all has changed and, and postponed. But they started one year ago uh, with this race to zero action organized. Sorry, Philippe, I was just going to say again for those of us on the interview who aren't familiar with all those acronyms that we bandy about. Oh, sorry. Uh, what, yeah. is, what, what does COP stand for? Ah. <clears throat> this COP is the Conference of Parties, and which is exactly uh, Paris was one COP. Uh, and uh, this is where uh, the parties, mostly the countries, but also some NGOs and organizations gather and decide about any, about something important. You have COP on uh, on climate. Uh, this is the, the next one is in Glasgow. Uh, Paris was one of the COP. Uh, you have now COP on biodiversity, and uh, uh, the next one is in Beijing, if I remember well. So this is the idea that uh, you should gather people, organization between market parties that are involved in a supranational question. Uh, and decide and make agreement. Generally, these agreements are non-binding. Uh, they are an agreement uh, among three people. And uh, you have to translate this agreement into their your ordinary law, your country law, etc., etc. And this is generally where the problem starts. But, uh, but anyway, <laughs> I don't accept the fact that this is not binding because this is not legally binding, perhaps. 
but uh, we should discuss, and I'm sure that with you this will be a very interesting discussion on where the law starts, because uh, because in France we have what we call the us et coutume, which some people are saying this is the start of the real start of the law. And I have I have some example later if you want about climate to tend to prove that behavior goes before the real law, written law. And this is much more binding than anything else. So where is the binding things? The binding things is in the mind and the behavior of the people. But that's another question that we could discuss later. So sorry, Philippe, I did interrupt no, you. You were talking about why, why people can't think of yes. net zero as coming out of the blue. Yeah, because uh, first of all, it was in the Paris Agreement uh, and it has always been there. And uh, if you take five minutes to read it, it's very clear. The definition is clear. Science is clear. Science has made a lot of uh, explanation and model, etc., etc. But this was made for parties, for countries, for organizations. So the, the main, the number one principle of net zero it, that it's done for society, for an entity. It's not done for business. Never been done for business. But, but obviously, the pressure of society and the fact that our act economical activities the, uh, are responsible for 80% of, of the issues. So, obviously, after the Paris Agreement, the, the business were made responsible and were seen as part of the solution. This is what has changed in Paris also. I sometimes said in the Paris Agreement, the, the business were not under the tent. They were, they, sorry, we are not at the table. They were not signing the agreement. Who signed the agreement were the countries and the parties, not the businesses. But there is not one word in the agreement of Paris that was not discussed sometimes even agreed informally by business. So business anyway are bound by the Paris Agreement, morally bound, and uh, which is perhaps even higher than just uh, legally bound. So morally bound, <laughs> sorry for this interruption about lawyers, but, but anyway, <laughs> in, anyway, the, 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 we were not going to discuss the morality of law and, and lawyers, for sure not. But, uh, <laughs> but they, they are uh, bound and they are seen not only as a problem, but as the solution. So naturally, business try to understand what, what's in it for them. Okay, zero net society, what that means. And unfortunately, as usual, most of the business jump into the occasion to, to very cheaply find a solution to their problem. They say, okay, let's declare ourselves zero net business. We are zero net. When? 2050. 2050. This is even better. We have plenty of time to think about. So, so there was a huge amount of business jumping in this. And uh, I mean, to be simple, greenwashing. And this is, this is what is not acceptable. But the main difference between now, today, and 2015 is the society is organized now. And so my first advice to business that write something publicly about their commitment to net zero is be very careful because now society is organized. You even have in some countries, like in the United States, the, the, the Stock Exchange Commission organize themselves to check the declaration of the business because they understand that this kind of declaration can have an influence on the stock price. So they want to check. Remember the third duty of the board? Say, you have to make sure that what goes out of your company as information is fair and equilibrated. That's a good example of what's happening now. So you have to be very careful when you declare. That's the first thing to do. When you declare that you want to be uh, a net zero, very, very careful about what you say because this will be checked. This is no longer just a declaration and just a nice cocktail uh, between the CEO and the, and the main director. So this is, this is number one. Number two, 
you will have no credibility because the financial market is starting to feel the pressure now also. And this is something we can discuss about Europe because this is really interesting what's happening now today. The, to, to redirect the financial, financial flow toward the company that really uh, are compatible with a net zero world. So you need to, to give intermediary step. You cannot just say, I will be net zero in 2050. Uh, no, 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 no. I want to know what you're going to do today to be in a, in a trajectory. And this is where we go back to temperature because, uh, because the temperature uh, uh, is fundamentally linked to the accumulation of emission, not to your declaration of emission in 2050, what you are accumulating every year. So this, this uh, will put us back to uh, respecting the temperature limit. Though so you need a trajectory, you need the intermediary step, and you need an action plan with responsible. Uh, sometimes I am in the board and the guy says, no, we're going to do it. I say, yeah, 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 okay, you're going to do it. But in your business, my dear friend, when you say something, you immediately put a plan. You put, a, as everybody does, when you have a project, you define your target, sure. You put a responsible, a leader, and you put a budget. So you do the same for net zero. Give me the target with the intermediary step. Give me the leader who is responsible to control and give me the money you are putting in it. And then I will start believing you. If not, this is greenwashing. And you are not responsible in doing when you do that. You are, you are negligent because you are trying to go around things and you are crossing your, the boundary of your duties. Philippe, yes. are you sure that you're actually not an Australian lawyer? Because <laughs> actually today's, today's Hutley opinion, again, the main focus of that opinion was on greenwashing. So Mr. Hutley said... The standard of care is now so high that a board must give robust consideration to net zero emissions targets. If you publish a target, there is an implied representation that you will also be devoting sufficient resource to investigating how you get Absolutely. there. And so, yes, target is the first step. And it doesn't mean that you have to have a concrete plan for every step of the way of how you're going to get there, because in many cases, the technology hasn't been developed yet. But if you say that it is your intention, then you have to then within the company, make sure that it is appropriately resourced, that strategy exactly. is considered accordingly, et cetera, et cetera. So I think maybe you have been moonlighting um, as um, not only a, a French-Brazilian captain of industry, but perhaps also a, a senior commercial barrister. You never know. <laughs> but but this, it's very, what you just said is quite important. And uh, I, perhaps we can spend one minute on this, because for me, this is the centre of the, of the issue. I am just writing a, a, a piece on this with some friends. And uh, what is net zero for company? I, I challenge the fact that a company can be called net zero, because in reality, you cannot. A company cannot be net zero. A company can contribute to a world net zero. And this is what is important. But okay, this is world, and let's say that this is good for marketing, et cetera, et cetera. And this is also good for mobilizing energy, so we will not spend too much time on it. But what is a company net zero? First of all, and this is, and you will see that at each stage of what I will say, boards have the duty to look at it or even to provoke it or to lead it, but anyway, to watch it. And uh, so first of all, you have to ask yourself if the purpose of your company is compatible with the net zero. So look at it strongly and say, wow, my purpose is to do this and this. And in the net zero world, this and this will not exist anymore. It's impossible. It's not inside the budget. You, you cannot. You are emitting too much. So first problem that you have, number one, check your purpose and see if it's compatible. If it's compatible or nearly compatible or possibly compatible, second, the plan and now change your process. Change your processes, the way you work and make sure 
that your impact is net zero. So, and then start the, the, the second problem, which is the perimeter. I don't want to enter into very technical definition of scope one, scope two, scope three, etc., etc. But what is important is to understand that a company is part of an ecosystem. It's not enough to talk or to look at just the emission that your direct operations are provoking. You have to understand what are the emissions embedded in your supply chain. That's number one. And this will provoke other uh, consequences on countries that we can come back in a minute also. Second, you have to understand your own emission, easy. And third, you have to understand the emission coming from the use of your product or service by your customer. And so this is this whole channel of responsibility, the emission which are embedded in your supply chain your emission, including the emission of the energy that you are using into your process. And thirdly, the emission that are coming from the use of your product and service, this whole chain is your emission. So this is what you have to work on. And today I saw that some, some companies uh, have been now, including, I think this was Unilever making a declaration today, saying that they will, they will work with 1,000 of their, of their suppliers to make sure that these are also looking at decreasing their own emission. So the, the, the first very important point after the definition of is your purpose compatible uh, with net zero is have you looked at the right scope? And in this, because not everything is, uh, is nice in this world, all the declaration of the oil and gas company that have been tweaking, uh, playing around the scopes, you have, I will not give name because I, I, you never know, but, but some companies in the oil and gas, um, I've, I've been playing around scope one, which is their own emission. And, completely forgetting scope three, which is the use of their product. So these people are just saying my emission are the emission that I are generating when I take out of the ground oil and gas, for example. The rest is not me. It's you, the, the user that are emitting. Uh, well, Philippe, maybe not me because I have a Tesla. But anyway, <laughs> yes. continue, continue. And Tesla, and Tesla, which is a very good example, you have also to look at the emission of the products that have been used to build the Tesla, and more particularly, all these batteries and, and, and these things. So this is never very simple. So the Tesla is a very good example of a fabulous uh, uh, solution. If the power that you are using comes from renewable energy or non-emitting energy, including nuclear, if you want, but non-emitting energy, that the material, the, the, the goods that you have been using to build your Tesla and to repair your Tesla and the factory that are uh, used for your Tesla are also net zero emission. And after that, you can say, and do you have a net zero emission mobility instrument? And that's great. So that's the second point. The third point, and this is where you will have a lot of case in the, in the years to come for the lawyer, because after all this, obviously, as I said at the beginning, a company cannot say it is net zero because you have too much uh, uh, induced emission that makes your, uh, your use of net zero nearly impossible. So you do what they call the compensation. And this is my fight at the moment. Because I, to, to, to summarize, I say uh, compensation is a good idea, it's positive, so I am in favor. But you cannot add emission certain today with a capture perhaps difficult and not stable tomorrow. And you cannot say that this is a net zero balance. This is not true. We don't need company to plant trees. We need company to reduce their emission. And after that, the, the, the balance of all this will have to be compensated by somebody, including by this company, 
But this is not the same calculation. Let's concentrate, please, on reducing the emission first and go to the bottom of it instead of planting trees, as some oil and gas wants to us to believe. Oh, don't worry. Or even airplanes, don't worry. I will be net zero emission planting trees. First, this is not true. And second, this is not at the size of the urgency, at the scale of the urgency. So all these now are in debate. And uh, according to just what you said just previously, the, the law is starting to look at it. Can you really say that you are net zero emission if you plant trees? or if you don't reduce the emission of your supply chain. Now, I don't want to um, to, to spend too much time on one particular yes. industry, um, but there are industries that, that are known as what we call hard to decarbonize sectors. Yes. So industries oh, how, like... How to abate, we say. Yeah. How to abate. Yeah. yeah. So sectors like steel steelmaking, sectors like shipping, sectors like aviation, for example, where the technical ability to reduce emissions um, isn't sufficiently developed in order for that to occur. So yeah. if I was a director on the board of a company in one of those hard to decarbonise or hard to abate sectors, what do you advise those directors that they can do, need to do, must do in order to discharge their duties? Yeah, the, I think, uh, fortunately, most of these sectors have, if not all, at least a big part, a big chunk of the solution. Uh, it's really amazing to see in the last four to five years, all these sectors that you have uh, uh, named, are working on solution to abate, still is now having solution for CO2-free steel. Cement, they have solution for CO2-free cement. Uh, aluminium can be uh, used also with CO2-free aluminium. Why are they doing this? They are doing this for mostly two reasons. The, I always say, you know, CEO or business or board, they don't react to fact. They react to expectation of fact because they are clever people and they know that uh, when the trouble is coming, they better react now. They don't wait for the trouble. All these people are working and you will be amazed to see the number of technical solutions that were existing as always been existing. When I was president of uh, Alstom uh, uh, a few years ago, uh, we had the carbon capture and, uh, and storage solution in, in our shelves. We were offering to customers. And the customer was saying, no, 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 it's too expensive. Sorry, CO2 is free in the atmosphere at the moment. There were no price of CO2. So I'm sorry, I, I like you, I like the planet, <laughs> but I, I, like, I like my PNL also. I like my, my, my profit. So I don't want more cost. And this was existing, but now you have a CO2 price. Now you have a pressure of the market. What is the pressure of the market? You have solution without CO2 that, and remember what I said about the purpose and the offering, you have people now that are offering competition to your product without emission. They will win. This is absolutely certain. The stock exchange are already uh, uh, putting that into perspective. Because what you are saying is, can be summarized saying, uh, this transition is on the move. There will be winners and losers. And these are the losers. And the winners are already visible. Let's take a few examples. The power sector. When I was president of Alstom, we, uh, the, the wind, the, the renewable were 1% of the market. And we were all fighting to know if it will be 1% or 2 or 3 or 4% of the market next year. Okay, since five years now, the market share of renewable in Europe, it's very simple to calculate. It's 100%. It's not 1% or 2 it's 100%. There is no, no classical plants open at the moment in Europe. 
they are all CO2 free, including I am lying saying it's 100%. It's 120% because we are closing thermal plants, coal and gas. We are mothballing uh, gas plants. So in reality, if you look, the, the, the non-CO2 solution uh, are more than 100%. And you can say that how come this was possible? That this is possible because people now have understood that the rest is no value. This is the what we call the stranded asset. So when you ask the, the responsibility of a board, it's very simple. The board has to look at the purpose of the company, look if this purpose is compatible with a net zero. And I don't see any real purpose, not operation system, purpose incompatible with net zero. The, you can even defend that plane is compatible with net zero. Just that plane with an engine with this, this type of emission for this type of travel is not compatible with net zero. But plane is, and we are showing that we have the solution. The only thing I will challenge in what you just said is we don't have the solution. We have the solution, but we have been too greedy and too lazy to use it. That's different. But the technical solution is everywhere. It's it's existing. We know. We know. I, I all the solution that we are using in the power sector at the moment were known 20 years ago. We, by the way, for some we started with this solution. Remember that the first generator of uh, of electricity uh, were of sorry of power were the windmill. Hmm? We started with this. After that, we, we obviously we move away to nuclear plant or coal plant. But but we started with the windmill, and now we are rediscovering some solution: the sun, the wind, the water. All these are solutions that were existing, and we are just scaling up at the moment. So, when you are a board member, you have to look at your purpose, make sure this is compatible. Second, make sure that people are spending the 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 money where it should be spent to decarbonize their operation. And don't come with it's too expensive. It's not too expensive if you want to survive, because if you don't do it, you will die. This is as simple as this. Uh, and thirdly, make sure that you walk the talk. Uh, I think a board will be challenged a lot now. Uh, and you you have said one on the on the greenwashing and declaration. You know, when I go to board and uh, the first thing I ask, one of the first thing I ask is, uh, give me your your your, your budget of uh, of policy or uh, lobby. Make sure, and this is a responsibility of the board. Make sure you spend the money on, on financing organization that's compatible with what you say. Because this is the responsibility of the board. This is greenwashing and this is inducing people uh, in the wrong direction. So this, you will be responsible for it. So I think if you are at the board of a company like this, first of all, you have to look at that as a big opportunity for you to do something good because you can transform the company. You are responsible for this transformation and you have all what you want. You just have to move now and, and, and to change because you will be you will be the first uh, to have a solution and you will have fruit from this when the times will come. That makes me think about something that um, I have heard you say before, which is it's the duty of the board to consider the true profit ah. of the company. When you talk about true profit, what, what do you mean? What, what, how yes. is that different from the way that, that we no. as board members currently think about profit yes i will say that um, it's even more than a duty it's it's interesting i, I was discussing about this uh, yesterday yesterday with the board and uh, around this concept i say normally i say above their duties there is no major sin for a board than to declare a profit that doesn't exist and this is true if a board does that they are dead, they are in jail, because that's for sure. So this is even above their duty. This is their, their number one responsibility to make sure that the number they are publishing are real, good. 
now look at the way we have been doing business for, for years. That I have been doing business. My father was doing business like this since decades, even a century. We have been taking nature for free and unlimited. Always. We have never paid for the impact and we have never paid for the work that nature has done to supply with the product. This is the way we have been doing business. So I defend the thesis that the profit that we are declaring is fake. Summarizing, when I don't have time, I say we are all counterfeiter. We just produce number based upon a cost that doesn't exist. You, oil and gas, you don't pay for one million years that the nature has spent to form this product. I, 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 it's just a fact. You, uh, coal plant, you are not paying for the price that the, the consequence of the CO2 in the atmosphere will have on the rest of you, the humanity. This is free for you. Now we are starting to have a price, a cost for CO2, but before it was free. The fact that you are, you are destroying the bees with chemical additive, it's free. It's just the cost of the additive. The, the bee, you can kill it, it's free. So all these costs, either service that you are using free of charge, water, air, etc., etc., or impact that you have are not in your balance sheet and they are not in your PNL. They are not today. They are starting to be either directly CO2 price is, is a good example because this is growing everywhere. And this is, by the way, is an important thing that we have to discuss just after because I think uh, things are changing in Europe because of this. So you have the CO2 price. This is an example. Or you have indirect cost. This morning, before I was waiting for you, I was watching the news and, and the, the, the bees are dying at a, at, a, at a speed never seen. What's happening to the to the company that needs pollination. They have to buy the bees or they have to rent the bees. And this is the cost they have in their balance sheet now. So sl slowly, nature is sending the bill. So saying that uh, nature has no cost, sorry, has no price, it's just, it's not, it's abusing because, because it's not because nature has no price that nature has no cost. You are just sending the bill for the next generation. That's why I'm saying boards should be very careful because sometimes somebody will stand up and will say, hey, you knew what you were doing. Some business have already taken that into account. Example, we are all criticizing nuclear and with rights, uh, I, I'm not defending nuclear at any cost. There are problems that uh, we had uh, in nuclear, but we have to accept that nuclear at least is starting to cope with the cost of dismantling because in their PNL they have to provision the cost of, of this at least uh, and the cost of getting rid of uh, of the waste. So. What, why are we not doing that for all the products? Why are we are not responsible to take this product out and back and, and clean it? This would be a good start. So the, 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 somebody will, will tell you one day, you knew this, that you were distributing dividends and paying bonus on fake numbers. And this is a board duty that you have not fulfilled. So this is what I am, why I am insisting so much on this. We cannot continue to be counterfeiter because the next generation will ask us why we have done that, knowing it, because unfortunately we know it now. And this has changed everything for a board, just uh, on the CO2, because this is something important that will affect Australia. You have noticed, because I remember that I was in your company one day talking about this, that Europe has worked on taxonomy, uh, which is the definition of what is green, to be simple. It's a little more complex than that, but let's say that this is it. So what is green? So we are starting to give meanings to words. So 
just to make sure that the finance sector can have a clear definition of what is green or not, so they can say, this is a green bond. So they are, they are sure. Um, and we are defining this with difficulties, with a lot of lobbying, with a lot of pressure. Uh, gas wants to be green. Um, some people among them I am say, you cannot be green because you are emitting, so you can be less black or more green, but you cannot be green. So please be reasonable, but okay. So there are plenty of discussion. And this is being done now. Uh, this, this is uh, nearly finished. Put that aside. Second, as you know, uh, we are discussing zero net. And in zero net, the concept that you have to consider the supply chain is nearly accepted now. Nobody will go zero net if you don't include the emission you are putting in your uh, process, then the emission that were including, included in your uh, raw material or equipment or whatever. When you add all this, if I were a country exporting products to Europe, I will start watching very carefully because third uh, information, you know that we need money a lot because COVID was very expensive. So they are all looking for tax, easy tax, tax that will be accepted by the population. And what better than a CO2 at the frontier? And what better than a CO2 tax on products that are not green, exactly according to our definition of taxonomy? So if I were a country or if I were a company, exporting to Europe, and in a minute to United States, you will see that with Biden, this will be also coming back to the agenda. I will be very careful about what's going to happen in the CO2 tax at the frontier, because this is so easy. This is a very good solution for finance minister. This is the best tax accepted by all, and and positive for the public. I am helping nature, I am helping the environment. So this is very important because when you put things together, the fact that we are now defining what is green, the fact that we need money, the fact that people are, are asking for green product inside and people are fed up with this uh, competition from brown product taking jobs out of the movement of let's do, let's keep the job where we are needing the, the, the product is very, very heavy now. So all this goes in the same direction, tax you to at the frontier. Now, Philippe, as a corporate lawyer, I would like nothing more than to talk about risk and tax all day. But I know that not everyone is as interested in risk and tax as, as I am. So I wanted to finish the conversation today talking yeah. not about risk because we do talk a lot about risk when we talk about climate change, yeah. but opportunity. Can you share with um, the listeners some examples where you have seen business shift its strategy to embrace the transition to a low-carbon economy and is thriving having done so? Yes, uh, I would say uh, my answer to this would be, fortunately, yes. Let's say in five, five years now, when you look back, when I started 10 years ago or eight years ago, uh, I had to make the case saying, you have to change because you will see this will be a good market and you will make a lot of money. And I could bring my experience of power uh, uh, systems uh, supplier and telling them this has changed. So to answer your question, the first is the power sector. The power sector is amazingly uh, changed in a very, very fast way. The, 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 you, you will see the supplier of equipment, they are all moving out of uh, gas turbine, coal plant and all these things because there is no more buyers or very small. The market has completely sh shifted toward non-CO2 solution. So this is the first. The second was in mobility. You can, you, take, you can take all the sector of mobility, all, 
from cars, uh, bikes, <laughs> buses, trains, planes, ships, they are all now going to non-emission uh, non or CO2-free uh, technology. Uh, the two sectors that have refused to sign the Paris Agreement, ship, shipping and airlines. Now, now, they are under such pressure. In France, we just cancel all the, the flights. It's, it's just forbidden. You cannot, you cannot fly if you are doing a less than two hours flight and a solution by train. Yeah. So Paris, Lyon, no plane. It's forbidden. That's it. So it's no discussion because you can take the train and the train is less emission. So this is what I am saying. People don't realize the, they are all saying, no, no, but it's a load. It's, forget it. I, I should not say that in front of a lawyer, but forget the law. Look at what the people want and you will see, you will be dead. Look, now shipping, you think that uh, you can come back with these huge ships now uh, going in the Adriatic. Venice, Venice has, Forbidden, the big ships, that's it. Because it's too polluting, because it's too everything. So the, 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 the possibility, the, the speed of change is, is such that people, uh, you, you can always say, no, 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 because people in the reality, you will see after the COVID, they will all go back to plane. Uh, probably at, at the beginning, they will go back to plane. Not always, but in the meantime, we are changing the way we want to see these sectors. So look, Paris is full of bikes now. You look, it looks like Amsterdam and Rotterdam. It's, it's uh, plenty of bikes. So uh, the, the cars are going to electric. The, now the German cars that we're refusing uh, are going all to at least hybrid and electric. So this is it. The, the planes, the planes, um, they are all bankrupt. Simple. The company are bankrupt. Now they want money from the states. Most of the states, at least in Europe, are saying, okay, we will bail you out because this is important that we have a good airlines, a good in industry for, for, for planes, etc. So we bail you out. But one condition, you have to go now in line with green. You cannot continue to fly on short distance for the company, for the airlines, and you need a technology for non-emission engine before 2050. And this is in the, in the book now. If you want to continue to have the money from the state, you have to supply this technology. And by the way, the good news is technology exists. So it's just a matter of, let's be serious guys and let's put the priority where it should be not where you want to be because it's easy to make good bonus this is finished because the cost is too high so i give you a few like this and i like like uh, energy like uh, mobility more interesting company that where uh, you probably don't know but there is a company called orsten uh, that was uh, supplying electricity with oil and gas and that decided now to change name and, and to go to 100% renewable. You have very classical uh, business like uh, steel, cement, they are moving and they are moving for plenty of reasons. But one of them is the company that are planting trees to do paper and to do wood. I am at the board of one of them and we are changing the purpose. Uh, instead of saying we are supplying pulp and paper, we say we are working with trees. And we also supply pulp and paper, but we can also supply tree fiber. And with this tree fiber, you can do clothes. You can do buildings, 40-story buildings. And this is competing directly with cement and steel. So the cement and steel people obviously have seen that. They have seen that this is now a credible competition. So they are working now to be competitive with CO2-free offering to deal with a competition that they would have never imagined uh, five years ago. And this is true everywhere. So once you have put this idea of let's go to a net zero 
economy or society, you discover that technology is there. It's just a matter of scaling up, implementing, and more importantly, putting the right, the right price system in the uh, right price level in the system. Because if you have fake uh, numbers or fake cost, then you don't progress. And I will finish saying, and this is why governance and law are so important. Because if you don't have the right law, or if you don't have the right governance, market will not correct itself alone. We should kill this idea that market will act alone by magic and become, become a good market. Doesn't exist. You need guidance, you need law, and you need right governance. That's why working with board is so important, because this is where everything starts. Philippe Joubert, thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Thank you. That was Earth On Board CEO Philippe Joubert in conversation with Sarah Barker, partner and head of climate risk governance at Minter Ellison. For more information about these issues and more, visit minterellison.com forward slash podcasts. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And you can rate, comment and listen to our previous episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening and goodbye for now. Goodbye for now.